I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. My guest today was a former captain of the Brown football team and is currently a global business executive and founder of Bruin Sports Capital. George Pine is a member of both the National Football Foundation Leadership Hall of Fame as well as the Sports Business Hall of Fame. In 2015, he was honored by the Ivy League Football Association for a Lifetime Achievement Award. He currently serves on the board of the National Football Foundation and the National Catholic Charities for the Archdiocese of New York. An entrepreneur, leader with an innovative mind that has helped build NASCAR, IMG, and now Bruin Capital, George Pine. Welcome, friends. We're fortunate because the individual that we have today is an incredible relationship builder, really a unique entrepreneur, and probably as creative a mind as there is in the media and sports world. George Pine. You and I first met when I was doing an article for SBNJ. I came down there to Daytona and we sat over lunch and we talked about this remarkable career that you had begun at that point. Yeah, no, Jed, it's great to see you and great to be here. And that's true. That was a long time ago. That might, that might have been the 1990s. I don't know. That was a while back. No, it, it really was. And, you know, at, at that time, you began to explain this evolution of you as an executive. I mean, you come from a family, grandfather, father, brothers, National Football League, players, uh, you a player, all Ivy at Brown, and a wife you married who's got a legend in the PGA uh, annals. And here you are, you, you, you work in a family business, you come down to the Portman Company, and then all of a sudden develop corporate hospitality, which really hasn't been something. Where did these skills come? I mean, relationship building, entrepreneurialism, where do you attribute that to? You know, I don't know. I, I think the entrepreneurship really came probably from my dad and my grandmother. My grandmother owned a flower shop. And I, after school, because both my parents worked, I... Uh, Used to work with her and watch her manage her business. And, she, and my grandfather had a, a pub next door. And so watch, working with them and watching them, I, I, I had a little inclination to its uh, business. And then, um, you know, my dad as well, uh, you know, watching him do what he did, which is really very good at sales. And he was a builder and had a vision. So I think they had a big impact on me. And the relationship stuff, you know, I don't know. I just, I like people. I think it kind of came probably natural. To me, and you know, and as I've learned over time, relationships have played a key role uh, in my life, and particularly all the way back to Brown, has really had a big impact on me. There's no doubt the relationships you've been able to establish have been markers in terms of your career, in terms of the ability to raise money in your current company. It's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, we go to NASCAR, and here you are 
coming in and you end up putting together this uh, Nextel cup. Uh, you end up doing licensing agreements. Uh, you have a death and you, take, and you take it upon yourself to go in an area you know nothing about and figure out how to improve safety. Talk about that NASCAR experience. I mean, there, you kind of really stepped up. Yeah, NASCAR, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I love the people, but we, we, we hit that at the right time. You know, it was 1995 when I went there. People find it amazing. It was called Winston Cup. 16 races were on the national network, and we're mostly in the southeast. And I worked for a family business, which was fantastic. So I saw great growth opportunities and ran like heck to take advantage of them. And it really was terrific. I, I think, you know, going back to the relationship skills of being a people person, you don't become chief operating officer in NASCAR and second non-family member on the board when there are only family members on the board uh, than one other person, unless people trust you. And I think that's kind of always been my differentiator that, you know, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I think saying things and doing things and the things you say being consistent with the things you do are things that stick with you uh, through your life. And I think in the environment at NASCAR, that was really important because no matter how talented you were at NASCAR, if people didn't believe you or, or believe in you, you, you'd never get a chance. And so while I was from Brown and Massachusetts, could barely say my R's, I got a chance because people trusted me. And then, of course, you have to perform. But the trust was more important than the performance. You could have the performance, but if you don't have the trust, it was never going to get there. Well, I mean, you're a blue blood from the Ivy League coming to the South. And That's right. being able to fit in and them trusting you really says something about how you how you demonstrated that consistently. Right. And it's really no different to today, Jed. When you go out and people invest in you, people got to believe in your story. They're going to check you out. They're going to go back over 20 or 30 years and going to talk to people that you did business with. And your attributes are going to shine through. But in the end, I think it is somewhat instinctive. You know, people do business with people they trust. And that's not something that's built over a week, a month. It's something that's built over a period of time. So you made the decision after having this success at NASCAR to join a private equity firm. And you'd mentioned that you look at age as being something that's important to you in terms of different stops in your career. So talk about how that impacted you joining uh, Forsman and his opportunity. I was 40 years old at NASCAR. We just sold a four and a half billion dollar TV deal. We did the next sell deals, 750 million. And I, I kind of felt like there wasn't much left for me to do. I'd been there about 10 years and I, I felt it was time to go do something else. I thought going to work at IMG, one for Ted Forsman, uh, working next to him every day. I thought I would learn a lot. Ted had bought and sold 39 companies. He was a lot older than I was. And I was right about that. I learned a lot from him. And then also the opportunity to go work in a company that worked in, in 30 countries. And I have to say that that experience was invaluable to me today. I find myself quoting Ted almost every day. I learned so much from him, how to analyze things, how to think about things. Um, and then also IMG, having a, uh, being able to see global sport, was enormously helpful to what we're doing today when the, more than 50% of our business is outside the United States. So. I really focused on that, that would, I would be better developed as a, as a person or professional by working for Ted and, and working at IMG. And, and that's what happened. I, I think the other piece, as you did at NASCAR, you, you found an area where there wasn't a lot of activity, where you weren't crossing and the people who had relationships. At NASCAR, it was the, the business running the auto racing. At IMG, 
there was a whole whiteboard for you to be able to find and operate on that you took advantage of. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. When you go into organizations, there are certain areas that are really hard <laughs> to change. And, uh, you know, at IMG, the golf and tennis business was pretty entrenched. It was hard. And, and they weren't really growing businesses. Harder to uh, change. And at NASCAR, trying to change rules, anything in the garage area was quite hard. And on the commercial side, we could do whatever really we wanted at a very young age. And, and IMG was the same. So the places where we had the most success were things like IMG Academy, IMG College, you know, licensing and consumer products, those types of areas uh, where people really were less concerned. Uh, we really be able to uh, blaze a trail and really create a lot of value. I mean, uh, what we did in IMG College, we weren't in the business. When we left, it was doing $66 million and earnings, uh, and, and then we did that in like five years. And Talk about that business a little bit, what it did. I always remember I called them Roger Vanderskin, who's now at the Indianapolis Colts, who's a CMO at NASCAR, and I said, Roger, I, I looked at the demos at IMG College, above the college business, and I said, look at these demos. I said, they're better than anything else in sports. I said, how come I never heard of it before? He goes, oh, he goes George, whenever we did comparisons, we never compared with college. So that demo was an enormous demo. And then when I, you looked at the marketing dollars that that demo generated, it was significantly a market that was underserved. So what we did is we went out and, and bought a number of companies, put them together, and really grew those companies. And so we had a tremendous amount of uh, success there and created a whole lot of value for, for IMG. And another area uh, was IMG Academy, a business that for 30 years had never made money. It was supposed to be a place that you were going to get the next Maria Sharapova. And while Maria Sharapova went to IMG Academy, there were thousands more that didn't turn out to be Maria Sharapova. And we said, hey, you know, we put out a pretty good product. I think 90% of the kids went on to play college sports, 60% Division One. And we think we can turn this into a business. And we really did. And, of course, we went into new markets, uh, American football, American baseball, soccer, basketball, lacrosse real focus on women's sports. And those businesses today at IMG Academy are thriving. So it was that kind of stuff where that was kind of new and, and, and wide open, where we had the, the most success. The piece with football, though, was something right to your heart, having, having played it and so forth. So how did you decide you wanted to add a football program? Well, you know, we were, we were IMG Academy, while located in America, was really Eurocentric. And so I'm like, you know, no one knows, and people know who Boletaria Tennis was, and they knew Leadbetter Golf, but no one even knew what IMG Academy was. So I felt like, hey, football is the most popular sport in America. Let's get in football. And of course, I have to say, Chris Wenke did an incredible, amazing job building the program from the ground up. But I just thought IMG football would bring a lot of attention to IMG Academy that it never had. And that's exactly what happened. And of course, they have a great football program now. But, you know, when people see that, stadium and facility they they need to go back and remember when chris wenke worked out of a two-wide trailer uh, that was the start of img football uh today it's you know the best in america but something we're proud of i think all the guys that have done a great job building it i will say jed though it's one of those things we were sitting around in a room and i said hey let's build a football team and that's how it started and and we said lacrosse and focused more on baseball and basketball but it was really trying to become relevant in America because the academies at that point really weren't relevant in America. Excellent. And then you get to the point where Endeavor comes in and you have to make a decision. And now you put on another entrepreneurial hat and start brewing capital. 
you know, I always wanted to do, I always had that entrepreneurial flair. I always wanted to do something on my own. I also want to be accountable for myself. I wanted to take a shot. I was 48 again. I said, look, if I'm ever going to take a shot, I can't wait till I'm 60. So let's take the shot now at 48. And, uh, you know, we raised 250 million initially. We've raised over a billion dollars now. But I want you to know one thing I can, I'm proud of myself. I raised that money. And I didn't know if I was going to raise it or not. And, and the money came in. I got a call on uh, Friday of the New Year's Day weekend. Martin Strell says, we're going to fund you. I said, Martin, we don't have anything signed. He said, we're announcing it next week at, at CES. So we announced it at the Consumer Electronics Show on Tuesday. Uh, we signed the agreement Wednesday and funded on Thursday. Now, of course, all right, I have $250 million. I didn't even have a phone number. So I had to go out. We went to Regis Temporary Office. You know, I had to hire one person at a time. And I was glad to know that at 48 years old, I could still do that. And, you know, today Bruin has, I don't know, four, uh, we operate in 15 com- countries, have like 45 uh, offices in our portfolio and, and work with every major federation in the world. But literally, when I started uh, and, and got funded, I didn't even have a phone number. Talk about some of the investments you've made and how the work with the Portman Group kind of played into one of your first investments. One of the first things I did at Portman, or one of the things I did at Portman, uh, a part-time was start a sports business for him, much to the chagrin of my boss, but I, he, he let me do it. And it was called the World's Largest Super Bowl Party. We had 30,000 people come over four days and essentially had a huge Super Bowl party with the, I got a license from the NFLPA with 300 NFL players, the heavyweight champ of the world. It was great. And, you know, then 30 years later, I'm doing a thing called On Location Experiences, which essentially was a, a, ver- a version of the world's largest Super Bowl party. We bought a business from the NFL and, uh, and transformed the business into one client with uh, seven employees. When we left, it had 150 clients and 550 employees and it was a we sold the business in january of 2020 before the pandemic but that was a it's interesting how life goes at bruin we believe that media is changing the way people consume media is going to change and we want to invest behind the change so we thought live events were going to become more valuable in a fragmented world we've invested in technology with delta trade where we felt like they provide the technology on all screens we invested in design because design in a digital world is more valuable. Uh, we had Quartzide Ventures, which is a, a technology fund. And we've invested in um, Two Circles, which is a data company, because in a digital world, data is the, is the future. So everything we've done at Bruin is around the change in media consumption in the different platforms. When you look at these different investments, George, how many of these do you look at before you do a deal? A lot. I mean, we look at a lot of stuff. And right you now, my time kind of ebbs and flows. I do spend time working with the companies, but these companies, you know, we invest in great CEOs. And so when I learned this a long way from Ted and just my own experience. If I had to choose between a strategy and a CEO, I'd choose a CEO. Because if I had the wrong strategy, the right CEO would get the right strategy. But if I have the wrong strategy, I mean, if I have the right strategy with the wrong CEO, it doesn't matter. So we want to invest in great management, back them give them money, uh, capital to accelerate growth. And so I spend time working with these CEOs, but they're very good and don't need a lot of help, but we're there to help them when they need it. And then the other time is spent finding new opportunities because we're sitting on a lot of dry capital right now. So we look at a lot of stuff uh, around the world and most of the things I work on never happen, but we, because we don't want to make a mistake. And so therefore we have to, we have to look at a lot of things. 
So you're putting your race hat on again. We're going racing. Uh, you know, I, I'm very good friends with uh, for 25 years with Ray Abraham and Sandy Montek. Uh, Ray used to live down the street for me. And Ray and I have had this idea that we could create a new type of racing, racing that was made for this generation. So if you're going to start baseball, which I find it ironically on double headers that go on to seven innings, yes. if, you really could, if you could really start baseball, you'd go for six innings today, not nine. Or golf, you might do 12 holes instead of 18. So we have a racing product that's no more than an hour with three, two heats and a championship round. Most races are two to four hours. And that's made for today's consumer with cool cars and iconic drivers. And so uh, I've been working with Ray and Sandy on this project. We're going to debut June 12th on CBS for six straight nights on primetime. And we're excited about it. Talk about the cars. I mean, this is a closed car and Ray's been the person behind the design. Yeah. So it's a, it's a closed car. It's really a cool looking car. I wish we could put up a picture of it. Uh, the idea is to keep the cost low and to, because having run NASCAR and know a lot about auto racing, all the money goes to speed nobody can see. So if you can control the cost structure, you have a, a, a good product. So we have a product that we're going to go to the racetracks, we'll bring the cars, it'll be on the driver's skill, and it'll be provided a good product in a very cost-effective manner. So we're, we're excited about it. Also, the pit crew. You're going to rotate. You're having a different approach to that as well. Yeah. So if Ray were here, and Ray's, Ray's running it you know, really day to day, he would say we need motorsports entertainment. And so what we want to do is pair different drivers with different crew chiefs, which will be colorful and great content for television, and also adds another element uh, each week. So we're excited about that. We're going to have what we call a, a Balboa team, where, where a local hero can go out and compete against these iconic champions. So that's cool. And, and we're overwhelmed with the response. I mean, when the tickets go on sale, they're, they're flying off the shelves. So we're very excited about the prospects for the series. That's exciting. Being able to do something you started in with NASCAR and, and kind of compete in a different way and to really redefine the way racing could be viewed. That's, uh, again, using that intellect of yours, coming up with creative ways to get to a, a niche of people. Plus, you're doing it in an area of the country that's race friendly. Right. We went to the small short tracks, which is the heartbed of racing. We're giving them a product with a new car and design in a format that they love with drivers they know and recognize. So it's really, I'm excited about it. Uh, it is innovative. It's a totally new approach to racing. And I think it's a much more viable and long-term cost structure. So, George, as you sit there in your home and, and you reflect on the things you're most proud of, talk about what they are one or two or three things that you can look back on and say, wow, I really made a difference. Yeah, I think the, the thing I'm probably most most proud of was uh, we lost Dale Earnhardt uh, six weeks before I became chief operating officer of NASCAR. And we had lost three other drivers within an 18-month period, so four people in 18 months, which was really hard in so many different ways uh, and really uh, played a big role in, in leading the safety changes that – you know, have resulted in no fatalities in, in 20 years. So for me, that's something that I was really proud of in so many ways. One, the results of it, but two, just the leadership of that uh, during a difficult time really was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it's certainly one of the things I'm most proud of. And plus I think- in area, Plus in an area, George, that wasn't your specialty. I mean, you, were, you weren't the guy going in the garage. You had to say, 
hey, I'm coming into the garage. I'm coming where I haven't been before. Yeah, no, I had to address the team, the team owners, crew chiefs, and drivers at the Brickyard 400 announcing that we were going to put the carbon fiber seats in. And it was an area I, I really wasn't expert in, but I had good, good leadership skills and I was pretty organized. And I surrounded myself with really smart people and was committed to, to getting the job. I was really concerned about the future of the company, given the challenges we were having. So to me, it was a real threat to the, the company. But it, we, a lot of good came out of it, which was great. And I think, you know, for me right now, you know, Bruin Sports Capital, I, I, if I knew how hard it was to raise money, I probably never would have done it. I, I raised the first amount of money relatively simply. It was, usually takes two years to do it. We did it in six months, and I was upset it took six months. But I think now if you ask me when we started Bruin Sports Capital, if our portfolio companies were doing business with every federation in the world and that we were operating in 13 or 15 company, uh, countries with 45 offices around the world, is that something to be proud of? You know, you know, I, I'm probably saying, given that when I gave the story, how I started, you know, I, I'd say I'm proud of that. Now, it's good to be proud. I'm never satisfied. So we're going to have to finish strong. But I'd have to say, if you told me six years ago, we'd be sitting where we are today, would I be happy? I'd have to say I probably would be pretty happy. George, it's been a, a pleasure spending time with you again. Um, you're a remarkable individual, father, husband. Uh, you, you and friend. I mean, you kind of cover the gamut in a humble way. You've had all the success, yet you still are sincere and genuine in the way you present yourself. So thank well, you. Thank you, Jed. I consider you a friend and I'm, I'm working hard every day to say to be a good husband and father, but I'm doing my best. But anyway, great to see you and thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure.